I'd like you to take your Bibles and go to Genesis chapter number 45. Genesis chapter number 45. I asked the men on what he'd have me to preach today because I was torn between two things. As a pastor, and one of the things that's been really difficult for me during this coronavirus thing is us not being together and not fellowshipping and not visiting and, and all of that because as a pastor, I, I want to know the estate of the flock. I want to know what you're going through. And that helps me as I, because this is a big book right here. And there is, I mean, there is so many wonderful, wonderful truths in this book. And you can't preach them all. Uh, you can't preach them all even in a year, let alone in one service. And I always want my messages to be exactly what you need and exactly what the Lord would have me to do. So I was torn between what I really felt in my heart that you needed to hear based on what we're going through uh, in our land. And I was torn between that and what I wanted to preach because I don't know how you feel, but all that is going on around us, it's kind of stirred my spirit up just a little bit. And uh, one of the brothers last night said, pray for me. I'm, you know, this is, all this is causing me to struggle. It causes some frustration. And in many cases, it causes a good kind of anger. You know, the Bible says, be angry and sin not. It doesn't say, don't ever be angry. It says, just don't sin. The feeling and the frustration and that righteous indignation, if you will, is sometimes just a sign of wisdom and righteousness when we know what's right, and it just seems like everybody around us can't get that. And so um, I was struggling between what I felt you wanted and what I felt I want. I wanted to be salty this morning. <laughs> but uh, I, I guess when it's all said and done, the Lord said, Son, don't do this for you, do it for them. And so I'm preaching this morning what I feel that God has shown me that you need to hear today. And I guess if you want something salty, last couple Thursdays on Salt and Light Radio, we were a little salty dealing with all that's been going around, the violence, the, um, the tensions, and the rioting, and so forth. So you can access that on our website and uh, listen to those broadcasts. I felt like that we said some good things that needed to be said. And so um, you can get that if, um, if you're... Um, if you're a little bit uh, thirsty for salt here this morning, you can certainly have access to that. Genesis 45, we'll read one verse, verse number 27. Now, before I read this, I'll give you a little bit of brief background as to what's going on. Joseph has been sold into Egypt. He, uh, he was in uh, the house of Potiphar. He was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He ended up in the dungeon. In the dungeon, after years of suffering in the dungeon, in chains... He had the Pharaoh's butler and baker, they were cast into the dungeon, and they both dreamed dreams, and Joseph interpreted the dreams. They got turned loose from prison. Exactly what Joseph said would happen happened, but the butler forgot about Joseph, didn't mention him to Pharaoh. So years later, Pharaoh has a dream. Uh, the butler remembers that, hey, there's a man in the dungeon that knows how to interpret dreams, and so they call Joseph up. Joseph interprets the dream, and Pharaoh basically makes him the second ruler of the Egyptian empire. 
And during all of this time, Pharaoh's dream talked about seven years of famine, and that begins to happen. And after several years, Joseph's brethren, who are in what we know as present-day Israel, they travel into Egypt because they heard that there was corn that they could buy. And uh, I, I'm trying to make a long story short, which is very difficult to do, but the bottom line is through a bunch of interesting, very interesting drama, God has, uh, Joseph has sent these wagons to send a blessing to Jacob, that's Joseph's dad, and to bring them into Egypt because there's still five more years of worldwide famine where there's not going to be anything to eat for them or for their cattle. And so here's Jacob after all of what I just said and then some, and we pick up in verse number 27. And they told him, Jacob, uh, what he's speaking of, all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons, which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. My message this morning is actually a remake of a message that I preached seven years ago. It's not a rerun, it's a remake, because uh, this is in many ways a very, very different message from the same or similar text. But what I want to speak to you this morning is the subject of the wagons are coming. The wagons are coming. Let's pray. Father, bless the message today. Open up our hearts and minds. We pray for a spirit of attentiveness here today. We pray for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to get these truths to our heart. Lord, touch our hearts today. Meet our needs. And Father, your presence is so needed. And Lord, we welcome you and invite you into this service here this morning. And we pray that when it's all said and done, that you'll get glory and honor and that each and every one of us will receive the help that we need. In Jesus' name, amen. I think we can all agree that life can be pretty tough at times. The drama of Jacob's life was no different than a life that is characterized, or I guess we could say chronicled, by a series of some pretty rough stuff. You think about Jacob when he was sojourning in his mother's family and his mother's brother Laban, he worked for him. Laban became his father-in-law. And Jacob was not treated well by Laban. In fact, we read that after laboring and working for Laban, his father-in-law, for many years, we find in Genesis 31 and verse 39, Jacob is saying, that which was torn of beasts, talking about Laban's flock, he said, I brought not unto thee, I bear the loss of it. Of my hand didst thou require it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was, and the day the drought consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep departed from mine eyes, and thou hast changed my wages ten times. I mean, I guarantee you, Jacob today would be looking for the union boss to try to take care of him. Because his wages, just whatever Laban said, he couldn't count on him to keep his word. Jacob was so stressed by the pressure that Laban was putting on him 
that he couldn't even sleep at night. Pressure and stress can certainly take away our sleep. If I asked you to raise your hand, if you've ever had one of those nights, I guarantee anyone 18 and over would say, yes, I have had nights where I tossed and I turned and I couldn't get my mind shut off. I couldn't, I just, you know, I've even found that when I'm praying about a problem, I'm really not praying. I'm just kind of just hashing it out in my mind and mulling it over and wallowing around in my problem. And uh, I have that tendency to do that. And I know many of you do as well. Jacob was no exception. Hey, consider the problems in Jacob's life, the tug of war on his wives. And yeah, I said wives plural. He worked for Laban for Rachel, but Laban tricked him and he ended up with Leah and Rachel as well as their handmaidens. And you talk about a disaster. Uh, Anyone that is a proponent of polygamy, just read about what Jacob had to deal with. You'll just, you'll get over that really, really quick. I mean, every time he comes home from work, he's had a rough day in the field trying to take care of his father-in-law that everything that goes wrong, he's going to get blamed for it. You know, when you have a rough day at work, you want to go home and you want to sit down in your castle and be able to relax. Not Jacob. I mean, they'd meet him at the door. They'd meet him in the park, I mean, in the driveway. And they had some kind of scheme always planned to try to get his affection. Hey, how about Jacob's insecurity because of his brother Esau? You know, he had tricked his brother out of his birthright and his blessing. It rightfully belonged to Esau, who was the firstborn Jacob was the one that God said, I'm giving it to. And so Jacob took it upon himself to do things his way. And so literally for the rest of his life, he had hanging over his head the insecurity of what his brother Esau was going to do to him. And don't kid yourself for a minute. Esau was a man of the field. He was a hunter. He was a hairy man. And all the description that God gives us of Esau, he was a man that you and I wouldn't want to mess with. And neither did Jacob. And so he had to live with that fear and insecurity that one of these days Esau is going to come looking for me. Hey, how about his son Reuben? Who the Bible says that Reuben lay with Bilhah, Jacob's I guess we would say concubine. It would be his wife technically, but uh, she was given to him because Bilhah belonged to one of his wives and just a horrible, just a horrible scenario. How, how that must have been a grief of mind to, to Jacob. How about the, the wife that he loved the most when she died in childbirth, giving birth to Benjamin? Uh, that was a heartache and a grief to Jacob. How about when his only daughter, Dinah, goes and whores around with the heathen boys of the land? That was a, had to have been a horrible, horrible trouble and trial in life he had to deal with. As a result of Dinah whoring around with the heathen boy in the land, Simeon and Levi, big brothers, said, we've got to take care of little sister. And so they plot this, devise this plan, and they go and they kill all of the people of the city 
the, 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 the boy who Dinah whored around with was the king's son of this city. And so Levi and Simeon, uh, they go in and they just, they kill them all. And Jacob's like, hey, I'm, I'm a stranger. I'm, I'm, I'm the visitor around here and you're going to make everyone in the land hate me. Can you imagine? He's worrying about Esau. He's worrying about Laban. He's worrying about now the inhabitants of the land. If they hear about this, they're just all going to come kill me. Hey, how about when Joseph is slain by the wild beasts? You say, wait a minute, preacher. Joseph wasn't slain by wild beasts. I know, but Jacob didn't know that. For years, you ever thought about that? You ever thought, he is grieving, and it was a grief that he never got over. And the fact of the matter, well, let me say that, he got over it when he found out that Joseph was alive, but that was years and years later. That was, I mean, that was maybe 30, 40 years later. And you know that during all of that time, God never showed up in Jacob's life and said, look, son, you know, Joseph, some peace in your heart that Joseph's really alive. He had no hope. All he had was grief. And you know, there's a truth there, folks. Sometimes we think that God's being mean by hiding certain things from us or not rescuing us from our trouble or not comforting us in our grief. But the reality of it is, is it's just life. And God intervenes when it suits his purpose. But listen, he doesn't intervene. He is not he is not the counselor or I guess the psychotherapist of the universe. He's not there to coddle every one of us so that we never suffer any grief or loss. It's just not the way that things work. See, I don't like that about God. Well, I'm sorry. You have we have no choice because it's the way that it is and the sooner that we accept it and accept God, that God is good and righteous, even when we don't feel like it, then the better off that we'll be. And now we find all of this that Jacob's having to deal with. The boys come back from Egypt saying the leader of the land said that we can't go back for more food until we bring Benjamin with us. Listen to what Jacob has to say in Genesis 42, verse 36. Jacob, their father, said unto them, Me have ye bereaved of my children. Joseph is not, and Simeon is not, and ye will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. Now, I don't blame Jacob for having a bad attitude. I don't blame him for being pessimistic. I don't blame him for being depressed. He's went through some pretty, pretty tough times. Folks, when things go south on us, we easily get discouraged, depressed, angry, bitter, have a pity party, or crawl into a hole. But I want you to remember something, and that's the message here this morning. The wagons are coming. The wagons are coming. Number one, the wagons are a picture of a bigger picture. We think we understand what God needs to do in our life. Sometimes we think we understand what God is doing in our life. 
But the reality is we don't have a clue. My mother, she loved the singing birds. In fact, for Mother's Day, for her birthdays, for any special day, one of the best gifts that we could have give could give her would be like a ceramic songbird. She loved those, and she had a collection of those songbirds. Uh, one that me and my wife gave to her. We, um, she, it, it, after my mom died, it was given to back to us. And uh, we had to bring it back from Idaho on the plane. And remember, we almost had to turn it in because it didn't pass TSA. It's a very, very just troublesome time thinking that they're going to confiscate this very precious present that we gave to mom that now is being returned to us. She loved the songbirds. And one time she, she bought this CD of singing songbirds. And so she put it in her player, and she played it real loud, thinking that it's going to attract all of the birds in the neighborhood into her backyard. And you know what happened? It scared them all away. No birds. And you know, when you think about that, isn't, aren't we a lot like that when, when it comes to our understanding of what God is doing in our life? We have such a such a finite, minuscule understanding. And we think that what we're going to do and how we're going to do it is the right way, but there's a bigger picture that God sees that we cannot see. God understands things that we cannot possibly understand. And, And let me say this, finding God's will requires us to accept where we fit into his scheme of things. Now, God is good, and God has your best interest at heart. We read about what faith is. Faith, the Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, but a few verses later in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith is something that we have to diligently seek God even when God is doing things that we can't understand. And in many cases, we don't necessarily like what God's plan and purpose is in our life. Most cases, we certainly don't like His timing because He's a very patient God and we're a very impatient race. Much of our life is just scaffolding. Scaffolding. I mean, you go into big cities and you see these big, huge buildings being built. And you know what? It takes them months to build the scaffolding that's needed in order to build the building. Brother Scott lays brick and he knows how much effort and labor and cost goes in just to build the scaffolding. And listen, so many things that happen in our life and we scratch our head and say, that can't be part of the building. It's not. It's a temporary part of our life that is just scaffolding that God is using so that He can do the things that really need to be done in our life. The wagons are a bigger, are a picture of the bigger picture. God had a plan for His people, Jacob's descendants. That would be the Jew. That would be Israel. 
And here at the beginning of the formation of them as a nation, he had a perfect plan. Joseph saw the little picture that God was doing, but Jacob did what most you and I do. He was just thinking of himself. That's what all he was doing. Oh, all these things are against me. Jacob, he was the, the same one that said in Genesis 47, verse number 9, when he's finally standing before Pharaoh, a heathen king, and at a time when he should have been witnessing and should have been demonstrating his faith in God, he said to Pharaoh, few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. I mean, he's mollygrubbing. He's whining and complaining to Pharaoh when he should have been saying, Hey, Pharaoh, I've been through some rough times, but God's still good. But Jacob's just thinking of himself. Joseph sees the little plan, but even beyond what Joseph sees, Joseph saw that God had put him through what he had been through in order to provide sustenance for basically the whole world, but particularly his family. But still, Joseph, even though he was seeing some of what God was doing, he still only saw the little picture. God had a much bigger plan in mind. Folks, God has a plan and a purpose for you. And everything you're going through, everything that you've been through is not a wasted and senseless trial if you're saved. Think about the comparison between an acorn or Brother Stephen Acorn. Did I say it right? An acorn and a mission oak table. We have a mission oak table similar to this picture in our dining room. And sometimes I'm a woodworker and I love woodworking. I Sometimes, as I mentioned last week, I'll make something and I even like to look. I admire something that I made. But when somebody else makes it and I like it, sometimes I just like to touch it. I like to look at it. I like to feel, And I like solid woodwork stuff. But when you think about it, that acorn... You, you read about the oak tree. Do you know that an oak tree has to be around 30 years old before it even starts producing acorns? That's 30 years. That's 30 years of seasonal change, of winters and summers and droughts and flooding and so forth. 30 years before it ever produces a nut. I know a lot of families that produce nuts a lot sooner than that. <laughs> How old was my mom when I was born? <laughs> and then the oak tree grows, and then you have to cut it down. And then I've learned recently that taking that to the lumber mill and loading it and the weight and then getting it cut into to, to rough sawn slabs. And then after that, it has to go through a lengthy, detailed process of, of drying until the moisture content of that wood is at the right moisture. Because if you make furniture out of wood that is not properly dried, as soon as you finish, it can look great. And then you put it in your dining room 
which is low humidity, and the humidity continues to dissipate out of that wood, and it just cracks right down the middle. I mean, there is so many different processes that go, and then the wood has to be milled, and it has to be planed, and it has to be joined together, and you have to router the edges, and then, oh, sanding. Oh, every woodworker just loves to sand. You say, why don't you use a machine? Because, well, I'll use a machine for some sanding, but you know, sanding machines, electric sanders, they work faster, but they leave all kinds of little squiggly lines and scratches. And as soon as you put stain on that, you think that you've got a clean piece of wood, but you put stain on it, it's like, it's got all kinds of little squigglies in it. Woodworkers don't like squigglies. So what do you do? You have to hand sand all of those squiggly scratches off of that, and it's just work, 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 and then you finish it. How many things have I went through all of the process I just described and sprayed on a finish and blooped the finish and then had to sand it all off and do it over and over again? What am I saying, folks? I'm saying that there is a lot of process that goes from an acorn to an oak tree. Brothers and sisters, there is a lot of process that goes on between the moment that we're saved and the moment that we get to heaven. And God sees a much bigger picture in our life. Arthur Hugh Clough said this, It fortifies my soul to know that though I perish, truth is so that howsoever I stray and range, whate'er I do, thou dost not change. I steady your step when I recall that if I slip, thou dost not fall. Folks, the wagons represent a bigger picture, and the good news this morning is the wagons are coming. Number two, the wagons picture the goodness of God. As I've already mentioned, Jacob had made some decisions in his life that clouded the goodness of God. He couldn't see it. I mean, everything in his life, he had it's like he had sunglasses on that he's viewing life through the, these clouds and everything seems dark and he could not see the hand of God and what God was doing. Why is that? Because Jacob had a hard time trusting God. He did not trust God, and he believed that he had to control his own destiny. I mean, he knew, his mama told him that God had said that he's going to be the heir of the birthright and the blessing. But him and mama thought, okay, well, God's told us what, what's supposed to happen. Now we have to make it happen. And so, and listen, by the way, he did make it happen. And there are many things that you and I can make happen in our life, but listen, doesn't mean that you're, we, you can get the blessings like he did. But do we find anywhere in Jacob's life after he received the blessings that he was able to enjoy the blessings? Nowhere, not a single, I can't find a shred of evidence where it shows that Jacob actually was able to enjoy the blessings of God. Why? Because he thought he had to control his own destiny. He didn't trust God to make happen what needed to be happened. That was real eloquent. 
Did anybody not understand what I was trying to say? Okay, good. That, then that's all that matters. Now you contrast Jacob's life with his son Joseph. Jacob got the blessing his own way and never enjoyed the blessing. He got the blessing short term, but then he suffered long term. Joseph, on the other hand, just followed God and stayed patient, endured hardship with patience. He trusted God and he received blessings beyond our imagination. He went from a slave boy that was sold and rejected by his brothers. You talk about not only did he suffer physically through that, but how he must have felt the rejection, kind of like Jesus Christ was rejected by his brethren when he done nothing but do good and heal and help and feed and teach the truth. And he was rejected when it was all said and done. Joseph stayed faithful to the Lord. He suffered up front, but then he was able to enjoy the blessings of God for the rest of his life. Too often, the goodness of God goes unrecognized. You know that God was blessing Joseph when he was a slave. He was blessing Joseph when he was in the dungeon, imprisoned. All of these things, it was the blessings of God, but often the blessings of God go unrecognized in our life. An ancient vessel was once caught in the windless waters of the South Atlantic. Adrift and helpless and dying of thirst, they see another vessel and they call out to that vessel, Can you spare some water? Our sailors are dying of thirst. From the other ship came the cry, Just lower your buckets. You're in the mouth of the mighty Amazon River. They couldn't see it. Now, in our picture, you can see that the Amazon waters are muddy as they come out, but they're not always muddy. You can't tell, if you look at water, you can't tell if it's salty water or if it's pure water. They didn't recognize the fact that within reach was what they needed to quench their thirst, but they didn't recognize it. Folks, how often do we are we guilty of the same lack of discernment because we don't trust God? And we cry out and we say, Oh God, everything's so bad, I'm so miserable. And all we have to do is just lower our buckets because God has provided what we need we just have to recognize it. Jeremiah the prophet was speaking to Israel. And Israel, in their days of apostasy, did not recognize the goodness of God. And Jeremiah said, or God is speaking through Jeremiah. And it says in Jeremiah 2.13, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You know, that's what Jacob did with his life. He tried to hew out a cistern, but that cistern wouldn't hold water. It continued to break. But Joseph, he, he didn't forsake the fountain of living waters, and God was a continual supply of blessing and peace and comfort throughout his entire life. These wagons picture the goodness of God. And then my last point, number three, the wagons picture our hope for the future. 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, If in this life only we have hope in Christ Jesus, we are of all men most miserable. Hey, I've enjoyed serving the Lord. Life hasn't been a peach for me. I've been through some stuff that for me is pretty tough. I'm sure that many of you have went through stuff that's way tougher than what I've went through. But for me, and by the way, God measures out our trials because He knows what we can handle. But for me, I've been through some stuff that was pretty tough. But overall, I look back since I was 20, the last 34 years, 35 almost, and I look back and, hey, it has been a joy to serve the Lord. Hasn't always been easy, but it's been a joy. It's been a blessing. And, and listen, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it over. I wouldn't change it. I would not change. I wouldn't go back and live the life I was living before I got right with the Lord. I mean, that was a hard life. It's been good. But if in this life only we have hope, hey, Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And that's the problem with our culture today. That's the reason there's no authority, because we've told people in the... the you know that the public schoolhouse has become the religion... It's the church of America. It's where the way people think is molded, and it's molded, and it's made in the public schoolhouse. And we've been telling young people for years that they came from an animal, and that we just evolved out of nothing. And so they think, well, I don't have to give an account to anyone. There's no one that I have to fear. I'll do what I want, and I'll think what I want. Why should we scratch our head and say, I can't believe that people are acting like this today. Why not? What does it matter? Hey, it's good to be saved. And it's a joy. It's a joy to serve the Lord with you. It's a joy to fellowship. But if that's all there is to it, we're of all men most miserable. The wagons, they represent our hope for the future. Why is it that modern preaching and modern Christianity has developed this mentality that life is all about us? I mean, we don't say it. And when I say we, I, I, I don't mean to lump you or me in with it. I'm talking to just Christianity today as a whole. People don't go out and say it, but in their heart, they really have this mentality, this attitude that, I'm the master and God's my servant. He's supposed to give me what I want. He's supposed to do what I want Him to do. And He's, he's there for me. Hey, brothers and sisters, the Bible says that God created us for His pleasure and for His purpose. And the sooner that we realize it, the sooner that we can start trusting Him and enjoying the life that He's given us. not about us. The reality is that our life is a lot like bread. We have to be broken before we can be blessed. A student says to a teacher, Sunday school student, says, teacher, why does Proverbs say to bind God's word upon our hearts? Shouldn't it be in our hearts? The teacher says, all we can do is place them on the surface when God allows our heart to break, they will drop in through the crack. 
That's very true, folks. Vance Havner said this. He said, God uses broken things. It takes broken soil to produce a crop, broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, broken bread to give strength. It is the broken alabaster box that gives forth the perfume. It is Peter weeping bitterly who returns to greater power than ever. The northeastern United States, codfish are a big commercial business. The market for eastern codfish extends far south and west of the northeastern coastline. The demand posed a problem for the shippers. At first, they froze the cod, but the, froze, uh, the freeze took away much of the flavor. Next, they tried shipping them alive in tanks of seawater. This proved to be worse than freezing. The codfish still lost its flavor, and in addition, its texture became soft and mushy. Finally, someone came up with the idea of shipping the codfish alive in a tank with its natural enemy, the catfish. From the time the codfish left the eastern coast till it arrived at its destination, the ornery catfish chased the cod all over the tank. When the cod arrived, they were as fresh as when they were caught, and if anything, better than before. Stop complaining and whining about that catfish in your life. <laughs> It just may be part of God's purpose, and He's put it there because it's best for us. Edward Shelton said, God will look you over, not for medals or degrees, but for scars. In conclusion, if we go back to Jacob here and our opening text. It said, when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived revived. We need a revival in our land. I do not know if God is going to send a revival to America. I know many preachers, many Christians have been praying and we've been preaching and we've been doing what we can in hopes that God would visit our land as he's done in the past. We need a revival in our land, but listen, we also need a revival in our spirit, just like Jacob did. It says he saw the wagons and his spirit revived. What a joy to know our troubles are not for nothing. What a joy to know that God knows how to bless us. What a joy to know that our life is not bound in our circumstances. The wagons here in our text are loaded with a blessing that Joseph had sent from Egypt. But taking all of those goods and all of those fruits of the land and all of that sustenance to Jacob was not the purpose of the wagons. The wagons were there not to bring blessings, but rather their purpose was to take Jacob somewhere, to take him back to be with Joseph. Think about that, brothers and sisters. In Luke 21, verse number 28, Jesus said, When these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. The most important thing that we can remember is these wagons 
are a picture of Jesus Christ. The wagons are coming. He's coming back. Are you ready? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the promise that the wagons are coming. Lord, that blessed hope that one day a trumpet's going to sound, and Lord, we're getting out of here. I pray that each and every one of us today would be prepared for that day. If anyone here today is not saved, I pray that you'd help them to realize that we have no way of knowing when that hour will come. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. We have no idea, but God, when that trumpet sounds, many, many who have heard the gospel will be left behind. And what a horrible thought. I pray if anyone here today would be in that group of being left behind, I pray, God, that you get a hold of their heart today. Lord, that they'd repent of their sins and that they'd trust Jesus Christ be saved today. I pray, Father, for all of your saints, people that are saved, God, that maybe our spirit just needs revived. We need to get our eyes off of what's going on around us, our circumstances, all that's happened in the past, all that we fear will happen in the future. And Lord, just look up and realize that our redemption draweth nigh. Oh God, please help us here this morning. We need you desperately. Our country needs you. But help us, God, as your children to be shining lights. Help us to be like Joseph and trust you and realize that all of these things going on around us are for a purpose and a plan that you have wonderfully, masterfully designed. God, give us grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like for you to remain seated with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Pianist is going to play softly. If you've got a burden on your heart, if you'd like to come forward and pray. If you're not sure that you're saved, you know, you don't have to come forward and respond publicly, but we certainly are inviting you to do so. We'd love for you to come. If you're not saved and you'd like to be saved today, I mean, you can pray and ask Jesus to save you right where you're at. But if you need some help, somebody to pray with you, somebody open up the Bible and make sure that you understand what you're doing. We've got men and ladies here that that, that know how to lead you to Christ. And with no one looking, all you got to do is just stand up and walk forward here. And we can take you into one of these uh, prayer rooms and answer your questions, pray with you. We're here to help you. If you're saved and you're struggling with the life, the circumstances, the wagons are coming. Look at them. Look at those wagons. Get your eyes on Jesus Christ and the hope that we have. Don't let anything get your eyes off of Christ. It won't make your life perfect, but it'll give you hope. And it'll give you a source of peace and comfort if you'll just let God have His way and His purpose in your life. If you just trust Him.